Good morning. What is the most important thing in your life? What's the thing, the person, the outcome that you really prioritize above everything else? The thing that's got to happen to make you happy. The thing that if you don't have this or if this doesn't occur or if this person isn't in your life, you just, you just can't be okay. This question of what the highest priority is in our life is a question at the core of Christianity. And it's a question that all of us answer every day by the way we spend our limited time, talent, and treasure. It's such an important question and it's such an important topic that it comes up again and again as God speaks to his people throughout the Bible. It's something that Jesus talked to his disciples about. In Matthew 6, 32-33, he said, So don't worry, about, don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things and are deeply, deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father, he already knows perfectly well that you need them. And he will give them to you if... If you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. This question of what my priority is and what I loved most in life was really first kind of put to me in a real way when I was in college. In 2001, I was a swimmer and water polo player at Cal Baptist University. I was in Canada for the national swim meet and I was in the back of a van. The guy in the front seat driving, his name was Rick York. He was talking to a girl in the front seat, telling her about Christianity, telling her about what it means to be a Christian, about how she could give her life to Christ and trust him, how how the life of a Christian is a life of hope and love. And and as I listened to him talk about it, I I chimed in. I said, hey, Rick, I, I heard what you're saying, and I believe all those things you're saying, but here's the thing. I know that I'm not going to give up all the stuff in my life that I want to do. I know that I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. So why would I call myself a Christian? And I'm expecting him to be like, wow, you have so much integrity. But what he actually said changed my life. He said, Matt, do you honestly believe that God cannot replace what you give up with something better? And when I thought about it, I did believe that. And so that night, for the first time, I prayed to receive Christ. I asked him to come into my life and to be my king and my savior, to forgive me of my sins, to put his his Holy Spirit in me, and to begin to transform me into the kind of person who could live for him. Now, what's amazing is that nothing amazing really happened. I didn't change. I didn't think any different. I didn't do anything differently. But a couple days later, I was getting ready to swim the Hunter Butterfly uh, for the national championship. And I was feeling anxious and stressed, just like I had felt anxiety and stress in all the races for years before. And... The, the stress and anxiety, it was filling me kind of like steam in a steam room. And I couldn't see, and it was sapping my strength. But a, a new thought kind of occurred to me. It just popped in my head. Why don't you pray? So I prayed. I said, God, would you please take this anxiety away? And what's amazing is that he did. It was like he opened the doors to the steam room and just sucked all that steam out. It, it sounds crazy, but it really happened to me. But then I did something really dumb. I started thinking about all the things that were stressing me out before I started looking at all the other guys and I started getting anxious again and all that steam came back. So I prayed again. And again, God sucked it out. 
And I don't remember how many times this happened, but by the time I got on the blocks to swim the hunter butterfly, I had peace. I wasn't afraid. And this was the first time in my life as a swimmer, over 11 years as a swimmer, where I, I felt that way. And by the time the starter fired the gun and everybody else was leaving the blocks, my coach told me that I was already in the water and I won the race. And this was the first big race that I had won in a long time. And the only thing I wanted to do was to get out of the pool and tell my dad. So I jumped out of the pool. I didn't even unzip my suit. I ran to the locker room. I got on the payphone. I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I won the race. And our conversation and how pleased he was and proud he was and encouraging, it just made me so happy. And what I didn't realize was that what I really wanted was my dad's approval. Our relationship had been strained over the last couple of years because of the sin in my life. And when I hung up the phone, Rick York's words were, were ringing in my mind. There's nothing that you can give up to God that he cannot replace with something better. And this is the core of our faith in God, is that he will be good to us as we trust and obey him, as we put him first in everything. But when God calls us to make him our priority in life, it's so hard to let go the things that we've wrapped our hearts around and wrapped our identities around and the things that we think and the things that we want and the outcomes we have to have. Otherwise, we won't be okay. And they, they have this grip on our heart and we just can't let them go. We're like Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Go with me, the little guy, right? So we're like Frodo. If you've never seen The Lord of the Rings, they're a great, great series of movies. I hear there's some books, too, that you might want to check out. But So Frodo, he's got this ring of power that he's just, he, he, it's evil, it's horrible, it's eating him alive, it's destroying the world. And you'd think he'd, make, he'd throw it in this fire, which, which is what he's been planning on doing. But he finally gets there at that moment, and he's about to let it go. And here's what he does.
The ring is mine. What do I love most? Frodo thought that he loved his friends and his family and, and, and doing what was good, but at the moment of truth, what he really, really loved was that ring, and he couldn't let it go. And we can be the exact same way. There are things in our lives that we want to give first place to. But when we begin our life in a relationship with God and he calls us to trust and obey him, oftentimes we face forks in the road where what God wants is on the right and what we want is on the left and we have to choose what will have the highest priority. And when we face that fork in the road, as Christians, oftentimes we get hit by this sudden and relentless blizzard. A blizzard is a high-speed high wind of ice and snow that can bury you in snow, can, can drop your core temperature, can make it impossible to see, impossible to hear. And this blizzard of unbelief, it blows against us like a blizzard in, in, in the form of objections to putting God first. We get hit by all of these but-first statements and desires. Sometimes they're not even clear thoughts. They're just these impulses to put something else first, to hold on to that ring of power. And they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And you, you probably thought them. If you're a Christian and you've entered into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, God who has poured himself out and made himself empty so that we could be made full, God who took on our death so that we could have his life, God who became poor so that we could become rich on the cross. And you've entered into that relationship with him. He wants us to respond to him with love and faithfulness back. To love him as he's loved us. And when God calls us to put him first and to trust him most, we get hit by but first objections with our resources. God wants us to honor him with our time, our talent, our treasure. He wants to put us put him first in his kingdom first with our money to show him that money is not what we trust in and love most and to give him our resources and to lay them in front of him for him to use. God calls us to give him a tithe, 10% of the income we make as a symbol of our trust and devotion to him, as an act of obedience to him, as a way of, of making possible for us to participate in the mission of proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. He calls us to, to put him first with our money and give him our first fruits. But in our hearts, we hear these but firsts. Like, but first, let me build up my savings. But first, I need to pay off some debts. But first, I need to buy this house or sell this house or fix this house or save for retirement. First, I need to build my career. I need to get established and financially secure. First, I need to focus on, on this or that. And then I can... I can give God first place with my money. Then I can give God first place with my time. Then I can invest my time and my talent the way he wants me to. But until these things that I really have confidence in are taken care of, I can't, I can't do what God's asked me to do first. God wants us to put him first in our relationships, to love people the way he's loved us, to treat them graciously and mercifully and forgive them and reconcile relationships but all of us have been burned in the past, and so when God is calling us to clear up a relationship with someone, we hear, yeah, but first I need to see them show me that they're going to treat me right before I clear up conflict. And then I can clear it up with my wife, and then I can clear it up with my friends and my family. Or, or God is calling us to be a faithful friend, to show up for people, to love them, to, to, to pour ourselves out for their good, to be there in the hard times, to maybe show up on Friday night to their party. 
But in our hearts, we say, yeah, but first I just want to see what other options I have, you know, then I can commit to being there. Then I can commit to investing that time. Because if I say yes to you now, to helping you move or to be there for you, then I might miss out on something better. And so first I need to just make sure that what I really want to do, I, I, I can't do that. And then, then I can be the faithful friend that God wants me to be. We also see God calling us to put him first with our rights and in our responsibilities to take more responsibility for his kingdom and advancing the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth. But it's so easy to give our time and our energy to other things and, and to pour it all out there first. And then whatever's left is what God gets, what his kingdom gets. So we hear things like, but first I need to build my career and then I'll be ready. Then I'll be ready to give God some more time. Then I'll be ready to take more responsibility for the kingdom. But first, let me just get through this next semester because it's going to be really busy and I don't want to overcommit myself now because if I do decide to be there and show up and participate in that, well, then I might not be able to do this over here. And so I just first, I just need to keep my options open. I, I know that God wants me to grow. He wants me to take more responsibility over my spiritual growth. And that means that I'm probably going to have to get some time with people weekly, get around the Bible, learn what God is telling me to do, learn how to live like God wants me to live. Yeah, but first, I just, I just need to see who's going to be there. Let me see who's going to be at that meeting in that group. Or let me get some refreshment. You know, I, I want to invest in my growth. I, I want to study the Bible and learn what God is calling me to live like. But, but I just need to get on vacation. I just need to get a little break. I just need to get a little refreshment first. And all these but first, what they do is they reveal what really is most valuable to me. And if any of those but first resonate with you, I want you to write it down. I want you to identify it. I want you to acknowledge it because this is the thing that is competing with God for first place in our hearts. And what is it that God wants? What does he want me to do? Okay, just give me a list of do's and don'ts and I'll do them so that I can make God happy and get back to what I want to focus on. That, that's just not, that's not what Jesus Christ is offering. What it means to be a Christian is much deeper than that. It's more holistic than that. The Lord says, Here, here's my command. Mark 12:30, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. God is not saying do, don't. He's saying love. Love with all that you have. Put me first. This is what I want. I want you to be the kind of people who want to put me first. That's the relationship God is offering. But these blizzards, they blow and they, they push us back and they cause us to shrink back and to be unfaithful. And that brings problems into our lives. I like to tell you that I went back home with the gold medal around my neck and I walked with God and I was faithful and everything was great. And it was just, I was such a great Christian, but actually I just went right back into my old life. Right back into all the old sinful patterns, right back into all the old stuff I used to do and think. And every time God would tell me, Matt, you're my son. This is not good. I want you to go here. I want you to do this. I just, no, no. And a year later, that 100-meter butterfly champion got sent home, stripped of his scholarship, kicked out of Cal Baptist, humiliated with nothing. Because I had to learn the hard way. I refused to put God first, I refused to listen to his voice and do what he wanted me to do, and it brought discipline on his son. And only after I had lost everything was I really willing to put God first. And then as I did, as I began to trust him and obey him and, and put him first in the things he wanted, he began to rebuild my life way better than it was before. And so when this but first blizzard blows against you, 
and it comes at you, it may be generated by a couple things. It may, first of all, maybe it's coming from a place of sincerity. You're just counting the cost. You're just not sure that you're really willing to follow Jesus Christ. You're not sure that you can really trust him to give you more than you ever give him. And God wants you to count the cost. Before you decide to become a Christian, before you decide to follow Jesus Christ, he wants you to count the cost of being his disciple. He says that in Luke 14. He says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, that was, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. The Lord wants us to count the cost and to see that God is good and that God is loving and that God is glorious and powerful and that he can be trusted and to see it and to understand it and to look at our life and say, yeah, I'm willing to give this up for you. I'm willing to do that. He wants that kind of relationship. He wants us to count the cost. Maybe the blizzard is blowing because you have fear and pain. You've gone through hard things. You're going through hard things. And out of a place of fear and pain, you're just not sure that God is going to take care of you. This was a story of a woman named Naomi. She lived a long time ago in Israel. She had two sons and her husband had died. So she was a widow and her two sons had two wives and they took care of their mom. But there was a depression in the land and Naomi and her sons, they moved to a foreign land to find work. This is a picture of Naomi. Let's see if we have it there. Well, I just found a picture of a sad woman. It's not a picture of Naomi. They didn't have pictures. Come on, Sprinkle. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, Naomi, she, she goes to this foreign land and her sons, they die. And she's left with her son's widows. She has no money. And in that culture, if you didn't have a husband or a son to take care of you, it was basically poverty and death. So she goes back home to Israel, her hometown. She comes back home trying to figure out what is going on in her life. And they say, Naomi, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. It means bitter. Because the Lord Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, which means pleasantness? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like what God is asking you to do is about you leaving full and coming back empty? When I first read that, I thought, I know exactly how she feels. But it's not true. God doesn't send us away full and bring us back empty. God takes us empty and makes us full. And if you read the rest of the story of Naomi's life in the book of Ruth, you can see that it actually worked out. At the end of her life, she had way more than in the beginning. She was blessed by God. But if you stop the tape in the middle of the video and you watch just at that point of pain and frustration, it's easy to get these butt first blowing you back to doubt God's going to be good to you, to doubt he's going to take care of you. And then you turn away and you go the opposite direction. And all that brings is pain and frustration into your life if you are a son and daughter of God. The the third source of this blizzard is probably idolatry. That's a word we don't use much anymore. But idolatry means when you love anything more than God. When you need something, an outcome, a person, when when you've got to have this thing, this dream for your life, this picture of your life, or a certain amount of money, or just this possession, or just this next level on the ladder, if, if I don't have that thing, I can't be happy. That's my source of security. It's what the Bible calls justification. That's what justifies my life. That's what gives me my sense of, I'm okay, I'm okay, because this is, I got this, I'm okay. And God wants that thing to be him. 
And in idolatry, God will call us to give this thing up, this ring of power, and we just don't want to let it go. And that's the story of a rich young, a rich young ruler in the time that Jesus was on the earth. This man was rich. He had lots of money. He was very uh, popular. He had a lot of status. But inside, something was missing. He did not have the eternal life that Jesus Christ had. He didn't have what these poor, penniless disciples who were following Jesus, who had no house and no money, he didn't have what they had. He didn't have the joy and the power and the faith. He didn't have it. He had all the money, but he didn't have that. Something was missing. So he ran up to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Wink, wink, right? You know the commandment. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. I've done all the do's and don'ts, but I still don't have it. I still still don't have the life. What's missing? And Jesus is working him through the process so that he can get to the point where he can really see what's keeping him from the life that God wants for him. And Jesus, it says, Jesus looking at him, he felt love for him. He had compassion for him. He wanted good for him. He could see what was wrapped around his heart. He could see the ring in this guy's hand. This guy couldn't see it. He was blind to what he really loved, just like we are, blind to our idols. So Jesus said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess. Wipe it all out and give it to the poor. Let it go. And you will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me and be one of these guys. A special call that very few men got. But what happened? At these words, he was saddened. He went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. His love for stuff choked out his love for God. And when God said, put me first over the wealth, no, it's mine. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And if you know the love and goodness of God, if you can look back in your life and see God's goodness and love to you, his mercy to you, you don't want to do that either. So how do you unfreeze your faith? You can stay frozen by putting something else first, like I did when I went back home from Canada, and you can learn the hard way. You know, you can be a rebellious child, and your father, he will in time discipline you. And then you can repent. Or you can unfreeze your faith By putting God first in everything. And for the rest of our time, I'd like us to look at how you do that. How do you put put God first in everything? Now, this is a little bit complicated, so I'm going to do my best to not mess it up. But you don't play guitar amazing like John Mayer. My wife and I just went to a John Mayer concert, and he's really good guitar, right? So I don't run home and grab a guitar and just try to play John Mayer because I can't. I don't have the ability. You don't watch basketball games. I like basketball, right? And you watch some guy make this amazing game-winning shot. You know, they kick him the ball. He gets it. He shoots it. Ah, he wins. Like, you don't say, oh, I'm going to do that. So then you run out to your basketball court, brick, you know, air ball, right? You, you just, there are some things you can't just do through willpower because they actually require you becoming a different person. To play the guitar, you have to train and become different. Your body has to be trained. To be able to shoot that shot, you have to train. You have to begin to develop a whole new skill set. And in kind of a similar way, that's how spiritual growth works. It's indirect. It's a bank shot. You don't try to be godly and try to be good. And I'm, Okay, I'm going to love God a lot now. I'm going to love God now. You can't make yourself love. You can't make yourself believe. 
But what you can do is begin to make yourself available to the power and the grace and the truth of God. And he will begin to transform your heart. And he will begin to change what you love most. And he will do that as you develop disciplines, what we call spiritual disciplines. They're habits that we develop where each day we go and draw from God his grace and power. We draw from God the truth and we let God transform our hearts so that we begin to see as God sees and we begin to want what God wants and then we start doing what God wants us to do. You do it indirectly, not directly. So what are these habits? What is, okay, what does that mean? Well, here's the first one. The first one is commit your day to the Lord. This is what Jesus and every person who had big faith has done. They have made the most important relationship in their life, the relationship with God, the first appointment for the day. They've set aside time to go spend time with God and to pray and to read the scriptures and to chew on it with good questions and allow God to reprioritize and rearrange the day. Jesus did this in Mark 135. It says the next morning he was up long before daybreak, before the sun came up two, not two, probably three, four, five o'clock, right? Long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray, to, to lay his day out in front of the Father and to, to, to commit his desires to God and to ask God to show him what he wanted him to do that day. And that's what we have to do. If every day we will wake up and spend some time alone with the Lord, allowing him to speak to us through little bites of the Bible, little bites of the Bible every day, asking good questions, allowing God to say, this I want to change, this I want you to do, to rearrange our priorities. And we pray and we ask God to help us. He'll give us more faith. He'll give us more hope. He'll help us see why it makes sense. And then when we go out in our day, we'll be ready to make the right choices. And it's not just reading the Bible and praying, because as a Christian, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a while now. It's easy just to kind of check the box. But what you have to do is lay your day in front of God and say, it's all open for you because you're my king. So here's my schedule. Here's my calendar. Here's, here's what I'm going to do with my time. Here's how I'm going to spend the next 12 hours. Is there anything I'm not spending my time on that you want me to spend my time on? Is there anything I am spending my time on that I need to give less of a priority? You lay out your money. Here's what I'm spending my money on today or this week or this month. Here's what I'm investing my resources in. Is there anything that I'm not investing in that I need to start investing in? Or is there anything I'm spending my money on that you want me to change? You lay out your relationships. I, I know my day. You know your day. We have pretty routine lives to where we know who we're going to see each day. Our wives, our kids, our coworkers, our friends, and our family. God, here are the people, the relationships that you've given me. Is there any way I need to serve these people? Is there any conflict I need to clear up? Is, how do you want me to relate to these people? And if you go through your time, talent, treasure, and relationships with the Lord and ask him to show you what he wants you to do, you'll put together a plan for the day that is prioritized right. And having made that decision in the morning, now it's execution. Rather than going out in your day and just being hit by all these things and making the wrong choice, you are planning with the Lord to walk obediently to him. And if you do that every single day over the months and the weeks and the semester, you'll look behind you and you'll start to realize my life is, is actually, I'm prioritizing God. I'm actually doing what God wants me to do. The second habit is to commit your desires to the Lord. It's not just to grit your teeth and say, okay, I'll just do whatever God wants. I mean, you do want to do what God wants, but you can also be honest with God. You can tell him, here's what I really hope will happen today. I really want to be able to go to lunch and get this, you know, cheeseburger. I really don't want to fight with my kids. Or I just have this to-do list that I, I need to get done, Lord, and I really want to get it done. Or I don't want this to happen. I don't want to have this conflict. I don't want to get stuck in traffic. I don't want these things to happen. Here's what I really want 
here's what I really hope for. Would you give them to me? And you actually commit your desires to God. And you ask him to give you what he wants you to have. You submit even your desires to him. That's the meaning of James 4, 14 through 15. It says, how do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? But the length of your life is uncertain. As the morning fog, now you see it, soon it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we shall live and do this or that. Lord willing. What that means is, Lord, I really want to teach a great lesson. I want to enjoy my kids. I want to have a great meal, spend some time with my wife. I want to get up early and do this. I really want that. But I only want it if you want it for me. I only want it if you want it for me. And so, I, and I don't want this to happen. This, I just, this would be horrible, but it might happen. And if it does, I know that it's flowing through your hands, that you've allowed it to come into my life. And I'm going to trust you to help me to deal with it. You're not alone out here in the blizzard, just trying to decide what to do. But you have already, before the blizzard, started your day with God, dedicating it to him, dedicating desires to him, looking at the day, planning ahead, prioritizing, and then you go in and you walk with the Lord. And all of a sudden, you start making different choices. All of a sudden, you're starting to prioritize God first. This is actually how it works. It's a little bit more complex than just, I'm going to do it. But of course it is. That's how playing a guitar is. That's how being able to shoot a jump shot is. Everything is indirect like that. Everything is like that. And growing with God is like that. The third thing that you have to do is commit your difficulties to the Lord. Of course, we're going to go into our day. We're going to get hit by these butt-first blizzards. We're going to want to say yes to the ring, but we need to say no. And we'll be hit by these difficulties. And when we're hit by these difficulties, we have to commit them to the Lord. We have to develop a habit of taking a timeout. Just like in a basketball game when it's not going well, the coach takes a timeout. Why does he do that? He takes a timeout so that you can get out of the situation, regroup, refocus, look at what's going wrong, plan, get ahead, and then go back in and hopefully turn it around. We do that when we're sick. We don't just keep being incredibly sick, but we go to the doctor. We investigate. We take a time out with a doctor. We figure out what's wrong so we can get healing. And if we face difficulties, which we will, goals that are blocked or problems that we're having or things are not quite going well, you know it's a difficulty if you're stressed, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're afraid, if you just want to quit. I'm done. Whenever you feel those ways, those are alarm bells going off. Difficulty, difficulty, difficulty. And at that moment, you have to develop the habit of stepping out and going and spending time with God. It may be going to the bathroom or going to the break room or going for a walk around the building, but you have to get a couple minutes away from this stressful situation to stop and bring it before the Lord and commit it to him and say, God, this is really, this is not going well. I don't know what to do. I'm so frustrated. <sighs> Would you help me? What do I need to do? Like, Okay, here's what's going on. As best as I can tell, here's what's going on. What do you want me to do? And you talk it through with God, and he will, through his Holy Spirit, direct you. He can be trusted to do this. And then you figure out what's best next, and you go back in with God's help, with God's help, and you deal with the situation. And if you do, God will help you move through the blizzard. And he will pour resources, and he will open doors, and he will help you. And his protection and his plan and his provision, it will be yours. But you have to develop this habit. It's very counterintuitive. We just kind of white knuckle. And then what ends up happening is we force our will on the situation. And we make it about us instead of about God. This is what Jesus did in Matthew 26. Before he went to the cross, before he faced an incredible difficulty, he took a time out to pray. 
It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. I need to, I need to go get some time with the father. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. It was stressing him out. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me while I pray. And so even the Lord himself is taking time to just, okay, God, if there's any other way that I can save these people, that's what I want to do, but not my will. Your will be done. I just, I need help. I need, I need strength. Help me. And when he left the garden, he was resolved to do what God wanted him to do. And that's what the time out, that's what committing our difficulties can do if we develop that habit. Now, if I say this and you hear me saying this, you may be thinking, wow, that sounds, that sounds intense. That's hard. Actually, it just starts with tomorrow. It starts with tomorrow making time, dedicating your day to God, and just opening up the scriptures and allowing God to speak to you. Take a first step. The last thing is, is we just have to trust God and follow him wherever he leads. The Lord is going to call us to get out of the boat, to walk on the water. He's going to call us to leave things and give up things that we really, really want. This is what he did with Peter and James and John, three of his closest disciples. They were fishermen. They had a small business. They were successful. They had employees. And one day they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus walks up and he says to them, Jesus said to them, follow me. I will make you fish for men. You like to fish? I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. I'm going to teach you how to bring people into the kingdom of God, into a relationship with the God who made them. And at once, they left their nets and they followed him. I mean, think about all the but first questions they could have had. Let me just first sell the business. Let me just make sure my dad's good. I just, I got something in the oven, right? But it says they just left it and they followed him. And the life they lived is some of the greatest adventures that anybody has ever lived. And if you ask them, was it worth it? They would say, oh yeah, oh yeah. But we have to be willing as sons and daughters of God to follow him wherever he leads. And so as I close, I'd like to, well, um, as I close, I'd like you to consider your, your move. The, the move really is prosperity or pain. It's, it's a choice between trusting God and obeying God and experiencing his power and protection and good plan in your life or refusing and rebelling and holding on to that ring of power, allowing your faith to freeze and bringing into your life more discipline and more problems. There's a verse in the Old Testament. It was a word spoken to a king who in the beginning of his life really trusted God and put him first in a big way and God did a miraculous work of protection. Wiped out an army, a big army, and saved the nation. And this king really trusted God when he was young. But as he got older, he began to trust in his money. He began to become proud. He began to say no. And God was no longer first, but second and last. And God spoke to this king, and here's what he said. It's very interesting. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are searching back and forth across the whole earth. What's God searching for? I mean, God could... He can see everything. So what's he looking for? He's looking for people. Oh, okay. Whose hearts are perfect towards him. Perfect means love him first. Put him first. He's looking for people who love him first. And what, what, what's he going to do if he finds these people? What if he finds you, a person who puts him first? What will he do for you? It says so that he can show his great power in helping them. 
He wants to pour out his power, his blessing, his protection, his provision. He wants to use you to glorify himself so that other people can see that this is a trustworthy person whom your whole life can be given to. God is looking to pour out his power and goodness on those people if you have a heart that's perfect towards him. But look at the rest of the verse. What a fool you have been. From now on, you shall have war. The king, he wasn't that person. And for the rest of his life, he didn't get a good night's sleep because his country was always at war, sapping and draining him. And our lives will have the same difficulty if we refuse to give God first place. This is the choice in front of us. So what are your next steps? I'd like to invite the band to come up, and I'd like you to take out your handout, and I'd like you to look at some of the next steps that you can take. The first thing is, is that you could decide, if you are not a Christian, to put Jesus Christ first in your life as your Lord and Savior for the first time. The second thing you could do is you could write down your biggest but first. I really want to encourage you to do that. I really want to encourage you not to leave this room without at least writing down one but first that you have. Because if you'll write it down, God, he'll begin to work on that. And as you trust him, good things will happen. You can trust your father to be good to you. So write down your biggest but first and share it with someone at Church in the Valley. Share it with someone here and let them share theirs with you. The third thing you can do is you can unfreeze your faith by taking some of these steps outlined in the message as soon as possible. If you don't make time with God daily, do that. If you haven't made it a habit of giving your desires to God, do that. Begin to put into practice these spiritual disciplines so that the power of God can begin to transform your hearts and you can become the kind of person who does what God wants. And the fourth thing is come back next week. We're going to be looking at the third blizzard, the but how blizzard. How can I possibly do what God is asking me to do? As I close, I'd like to read the words that Jesus spoke at the beginning of the message from Matthew 6:32. So don't worry about at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen? For they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them. And he will give them to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. Let's pray. Father, I pray. Sorry about that. Father, I pray for, for us that you would loosen the grip that things have on our hearts that we put first before you. That through your word, that you would help us see how good and trustworthy and loving you are and help us have faith to believe that you will replace whatever we give up with something better. I pray that you would point out the but first that keeps coming back up, and you would help us unfreeze our faith by beginning to develop habits of drawing from your grace every day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus.